1: Today's show is brought to you in part by Peloton. Can't find a workout that keeps you engaged? Peloton is an immersive cardio experience with real time features that will always keep you coming back. Get $100 off accessories when you purchase the Peloton bike and get a great cardio workout at home. Go to onepeloton.com and use promo code LOCKED to get started. That's L O C K E D at onepeloton.com to get started.
2: You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.
1: Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 565 of Locked on Raptors for Monday, September 16th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked on Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And, of course... Please make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network team focus shows for all 30 NBA teams. We've got Locked On Fantasy Basketball going strong right now. If you're getting ready for your drafts, Josh Lloyd has you covered uh, to a ridiculous degree of detail over there. Also, if you're an NFL fan, we got all the team-focused NFL shows. And starting on September 30th, We'll be launching the Locked On NHL Network, something that I am actually the manager of. So uh, if you are out there and you like the NHL and you are you are looking for a Locked On show to cover you, don't worry. That's going to be coming a couple weeks from now, September 30th. We're going to launch with a bunch of shows, and we've got some great hosts lined up for you. So stay tuned for that on the network. Uh, and I think... That's all the housekeeping stuff. Please subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, without further ado, let's get to today's show where Marcus Saul is definitely still drunk somewhere in Spain after the FIBA World Cup Championship Parade, his second parade of the summer. I'm sure there was plenty of rosé on hand, and it seems like a pretty good time to talk about... Another one of our pressing preseason questions for this year's Toronto Raptors. And joining me to talk all about what Mark Gasol's role with the team is going to look like this coming season, which is pressing question number two, it's our pal from The Score from the Pound the Rock podcast, which is, for my money, the smartest NBA podcast going right now, is Joe Wolfon Joe, what's up, buddy?
0: Not too much, man. Uh, thank you for that
1: uh, extremely generous intro. Yes, um, you guys I are so good. Uh, yeah. You,
0: you guys. Thanks, man. I, I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know how much truth there is to that claim, but uh, <laughs>
1: I'll take it. It's uh, it's smart and engaging, which is a hard combination to find. Uh, we got engaging over here, but not exactly smart on this on this here old podcast. Unless you're on, then it becomes smart. So we'll use your intelligence to talk about Marcus All, who happens to be one of the smartest basketball players, this is maybe of all time. Uh, he's on the Raptors, which is always fun to think about. Uh, he just, of course, won gold for Spain at the FIBA World Cup. We're not going to talk about that very much because, let's be honest, who watched those games? It was really cool to see Marcus All win. He did 33 points in the semifinal overtime game. That's awesome. But after Canada fell out of that tournament, I kind of lost interest. I'm not going to lie. Uh, Joe, were you kind of the same with the FIBAs? Um, If I'm being
0: perfectly honest, I was never really in to begin with. Um, (laughs) I watched like some of uh, like one of the Canada games against Australia. But yeah, for the most part, um, I just been like kind of taking a break from basketball. Mm -hmm. Um, I was kind of in tennis mode for a while. um, And that was capturing my interest uh, in a way that international basketball wasn't. So I just, yeah, I didn't really commit to, uh, to the World Cup at all.
1: Yeah, that's uh, honestly probably the way to go about it. I It was disappointing. And I know it was fun to watch like Serbia and stuff for until they lost uh, on ceremony to Argentina and Luis Scola and his uh, wife-seducing-looking haircut. But uh, it was... Uh, uh, yeah, I, I am not upset that it's over. I'm, I'm happy that we get the NBA to come. It looks like we avoided any serious injuries in FIBA. I know Jason Tatum got hurt uh, Marcus Smart got hurt too, I think maybe, but I think it looks like everyone's mostly fine and should be ready to start the season. so that's a nice relief. And uh, we can look ahead to the coming year. Marcus Saul being the topic of today's show, I mean, first of all, are you worried at all about like the amount of like wear on Marcus Saul's body going into this year considering he just played into June for the first time and then also in the World Cup going to the gold medal game? or do you think like, is there a chance that he becomes, like, the load management guy this year for the Raptors? Because I kind of think there's maybe a shot that happens.
0: Um, I mean, to answer the first part of your question, i like, everything's relative, I suppose. But I'm not worried about anything <laughs> this coming season. Like, there's just... Worry doesn't really enter the picture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think given the fact that... Look, I, It was a double overtime game, I guess, and I didn't watch it, so I don't really know how he came by those points, but just seeing that he dropped 33 points in a basketball (laughs) game was like, what the hell? How did he (laughs) drop 33 points? Uh, He he seems like he's in fine form, and, you know, to the point about load management, I don't know if it's going to be about him sort of skipping games so much as just his workload being scaled back and we already saw that last season right like he came over um you know the first two-thirds of the season with memphis he was playing 34 minutes a game and he comes over to the wraps and he's playing 25 minutes a game Mm -hmm. like that's a bit of load management right there and i think you know that'll probably continue to be the case with him hovering around you know between 25 and 28 minutes probably and you sort of continue to stagger him and Serge's minutes like they'll play together a bit I think just because the Raptors power forward situation is a little bit hazy Mm -hmm. Um, so you might just sort of need to play them together um, more than you did last season but um, I think the workload in general is going to be you know not super intense and yeah maybe maybe they'll, they'll Uh, rest in the odd game and and try and aim for, like, the 65 to 70 game mark rather than um, having him play, you know, 75 plus. But I don't know. I guess just, like, it's not like he's the kind of person who has typically relied on, you know, quickness or athleticism or anything like that. Like, obviously, it's important for his body to be in good shape. But, like, his intelligence to me just, like, adds – Um, like that extra, you know, 25% that maybe an, like an extra half step would otherwise give him like Mm -hmm. his ability to think the game and just sort of be one step ahead, um, gives him certain advantages. I think that maybe make it easier for him to, uh, to survive the grind of a long season.
2: Yeah,
1: it really does feel like he's going to, at age like 38, 39, still be doing useful things for like a decent team off the bench or something, just because of the way he thinks the game and how smart he is, and just sort of like his touch and his passing genius. Those are all skills that are going to age pretty well, and the fact that he's starting to shoot threes a little bit as well certainly doesn't hurt either. Um I didn't realize he was forty four percent on threes after the trade last year, uh, in the regular season. That's pretty nuts. obviously that went down a bit in the playoffs as he was terrified to take them a lot of the time. Yeah. Um and that's something they're not gonna be able to afford this year. And that's sort of the yeah, I mean, question, so like right? That was, like, it was
0: fifty it, it was fifty two total threes that he shot with the wraps, so Yeah, that's you true. Know, yeah, exactly. He was very discerning about the shots that he was taking from yeah. outside. Um And I kind of think that needs to change (laughs) this coming season. Like, he can't be so discerning. Like, they really need him to space the floor because they do not have a lot of floor spacers.
1: Yeah, that was going to be sort of my next sort of line of questioning is as we look at how this team lines up, we can talk about load management and stuff, and if he's playing 25, 26 minutes, maybe that's enough. But I do wonder if there's going to be... Sort of a real serious uptick in his usage and just the way that the Raptors use him because he said himself and it was pretty clear when the trade was made like okay he's the fifth guy most nights it was either him or Danny Green whatever the hierarchy is you want to you know put out there whatever but um, like he he's not an active part of the offense in terms of like actually having the ball in his hands you know he, he'll set great screens and all that stuff and he'll make smart passes to keep the offense flowing but he was not having plays designed for him or anything. There were the odd pick-and-pop here and there, but that was about it. And because of what this team is now, when you lose Kawhi and then, to a lesser extent, Danny Green, there's less three-point shooting, but the the most glaring, obvious hole in this team to me, and I think will sort of be what keeps the Raptors from being, like, an insanely good offense, once again, unless they can find some culture reset magic or something like that, which I guess is on the table, um, is, like, there's just not a lot in the way of creation. And, you know, you could, I guess... What Gasol's logical sort of role in filling that gap in is, I guess, he has the ball sort of at the elbow a little bit more, and picking out cutters and stuff. The, the things that we thought maybe he was going to do a little bit more often when he came, but they didn't really do that much, and there was, you know, some weird sort of back and forth with, with a lot with what lineups he was playing with and who he was playing with a lot and he seemed to have a lot of chemistry with guys like norm and fred van vliet in those situations where he was having the offense flow through him when he was at the, with the starters it wasn't so much that he was just kind of a screener um how do you envision marcus all being part of the offense this year do you see him being like the third option behind kyle and siakam do you see him you know continuing to take a step back uh, and being just more of a screener and facilitator, what do you see for Marcus Gasol's just overall role within the offense, and how much is he going to be counted on to help create in the absence of Kawhi?
0: Um, all right, so first off, I'll, I'll just, like, say something to address what you were saying about, like, the amount of touches that he got last season, which yeah. I actually think he was touching the ball quite a bit. Like, um... And even if you look at the numbers, in terms of front-court touches, like, after the trade, he he was basically getting the same number of front-court touches per game as Lowry was, mm-hmm. um, more than Siakam, and, like, a few less than Kawhi. Yeah. So it wasn't so much, like, about how often he was touching the ball as, like... It's a usage thing, doing yeah. ...when he did have the ball. Yeah. Which is, like, yeah, 16% usage and, like, you know, not really ever looking at the basket. Just, like, not looking to score and more so you know trying to facilitate uh than he was looking for his own offense and and that's the thing that like i think is going to have to change just because there there isn't you know like you said uh, you know uh, that kind of high-end creator on this team and there isn't a whole lot of um i mean self-creation i guess like Kawhi obviously provided so much of that and even for lowry at the stage of his career like that's just not really his game anymore. So really, like, Siakam is the only guy who you can look at and say, like, that's a guy who's going to be able to create some of his own offense. Mm-hmm. And I guess how much of that Gasol can actually do at this point is an open question. Like, in the past, maybe, like, the post-up has been a part of his offensive repertoire. But, like, basically last season when he was posting, he was posting to pass and not to score. Mm-hmm. And... Um, like his scoring efficiency out of the post was like in the it was like twenty fifth percentile. It was very, very bad. Um so I think that like he can be a really effective creator. It's just gotta be more outside in Mm -hmm. than it is inside out. Because I think teams have sort of like caught on to the fact that he's not an effective post player. And like you saw in that Sixers series, they were totally happy sticking Tobias Harris on him and being like, okay, like go one-on-one and try and score in the post. <laughs> they're not going to send those double teams. Like They're not going to give him the opportunity to sling those passes because they know he's capable of that. And they kind of know at this point that he's not really capable of scoring one-on-one in the post the way that he once was. Mm-hmm. So I think the, the idea of him playing more sort of on the perimeter and making passes out of the high post, facilitating from the elbow, drawing defenders out to the three-point line, and like I said before, just like having maybe a little bit less of a discerning eye when it comes to the shots that he's willing to take from three point range, and you know maybe even like attacking closeouts a bit, um, you know putting the ball on the floor a little show and go. Like I think he can be super creative and super effective at that. I just think it's maybe got to start from the outside, whereas in the past it might have been a little more like inside out.
1: Yeah, and I think that's one of the nice things about this year's team and the lack of worry about anything that you alluded to off the top. It's just like. He can afford to be a little creative and afford to sort of go outside of And maybe it's too late on in his career at 34 to, like, adopt new skills. But he has enough touch and sort of wherewithal, I think, to do what you said and attack closeouts and work from the outside in. Um, it is kind of interesting because, like, the one real glaring thing that Jonas Valanciunas did better than Mark Gasol was scoring from the post. And that became just, like, a thing they didn't need last year. They really, really needed Gasol to tie things together and sort of just bind all the disparate parts of the starting lineup into one, and it obviously worked to great effect. Um, but you would, I mean, I, I wouldn't rather you know, Valanciunas be on this team than Gasol per se, but his skill of being able to just, like, get buckets in the post at a rate, you know, for post-ups, which is an inherently inefficient play, for him to be even, like, sort of efficient at that is kind of remarkable. And that's just not what Gasol is going to be. It's it's always going to be, a, like, a sub you know, point eight point per possession play for him, um, and that's just he's not going to be able to add that. So yeah, it's going to have to come from different places. And I wonder if maybe they'll just sort of, if you think back to like what they started to have Jonas do the last couple of years he was there, they sort of had him do some of that outside-in stuff, right, where he would run those really high dribble handoffs and things like that. But he didn't quite have the gravity to really make that into a super useful play. Like he couldn't pop out of that and have teams really care. Like Gasol actually does have some gravity as a, as a pick and pop threat, so maybe that's a way to sort of loosen up the offense a little bit. It's just to have him out there, you know, running those those high screens, running that pick, that, that handoff action, and then you can sort of leverage that into other things. And maybe defenses will still have to respect him that way because they don't need to respect him as a post up guy. Um, it's really interesting. I I do like if you just had to like guess. I think he attempted. Per 36 minutes last year with the Raptors, after attempting 13.5 shots or so with the, with the Grizzlies, he attempted just over 10 per 36 for the Raptors last year. Um, where would you think he's going to fall in, just in terms of like pure attempts, or just usage, if, if we want to go by that? like You mentioned 16 was his usage with the Raptors. It feels like it's got to be higher than mm-hmm. that. And like, maybe that's yeah, leading to you've inefficiency gotta, you've gotta and maybe bump that that's up to like 20. Yeah, 20 that yeah, that'd be nice to see. I it just feels like a lot of guys are going to have to have serious bumps. And maybe this is like I'm pretty high on the Raptors defensively and Gasol's a big reason for that. I am a little skeptical they're going to be able to crack top 10 in offense and it is just because I think while I would like to see just as a person who likes to en- enjoy watching basketball, I'm very cool with Kyle and Gasol and Siakam all bumping their usage significantly. I just don't think you're ever going to find anywhere close to the efficiency that you had with Kawhi with that insane high usage sort of leading everything and those guys all chipping in around him. Um, And that's maybe a very obvious thing to say. Um, But I don't know. Do you think there's a chance they could sort of go back to that 2017-18 style where they really... And I mean, it's so weird. It seems like the Raptors are just always a top-five offense no matter what, and maybe this doesn't matter, and they'll figure it out again because of Nick Nurse or whatever. But do you see them sort of adopting that sort of... Just out of necessity, almost that culture reset style of offense where, you know, Kyle seeds some of the constant having the ball in his hands. He's running around, um, mm-hmm. running off screens and stuff like that. And there's just like constant motion all over the place. Like, do you see that sort of a, the, them adopting that? Because they abandoned that significantly last year just because the circumstances called for it with Kawhi being such a singular talent.
0: Yeah, I mean, circumstances is exactly it. And I think they're going to have to kind of. Uh, reverts the wrong word because I don't see it really as a reversion, at least stylistically. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like it's got to be more egalitarian. They don't have a guy like I mean, I, I have really high hopes for Siakam and what he can do this year, but he is not kawaii in terms of the efficiency that he's going to be able to generate just by isoing like 10 or 15 times a game. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's there yet. Um, you know if he ever gets there like I again I have really high hopes for him but like he has a lot of things to me at least that he has to prove before I can believe that he's going to be like a genuine night to night threat um, to just generate his own offense to the tune of like 20 plus points a game Mm -hmm. with like 60% true shooting so yeah so I think it's going to have to be a lot more of those motion sets and um, you know guys basically sharing the load and moving the ball and like I think like Lowry and Gasol is such a good pairing because Kyle is so good at playing off of the ball Mm -hmm. and you just know that Mark is going to be able to find him like in the right spot so often and it's I think it's really good for Kyle to just have somebody else who can play make and allow him to just skitter around and find open pockets of space and relocate for those three-pointers like I, I think as much as I like the offense when he has the ball, like it is also extremely effective when he doesn't have it. And Mm -hmm. especially if you look at this roster and you think about, you know, the dearth of shooting, you need somebody playing off of the ball who can create a little bit of space. Um, And, and so, you know, I I like the idea of putting the ball in Mark's hands a little bit more uh, and have him facilitate, you know, from the elbow, from the high post. Yeah. And I think the offense is really like, it's going to look pretty, um, I think it will uh, but um, I don't know I mean it's contingent on a lot of things I guess uh, but you know you said it like his usage can't be 16% <laughs> he is going to have to be some kind of a threat to score in order to open things up in order to open up those passing lanes that he can't exploit so well like if he isn't a threat to score those passing lanes aren't really going to be there to the same extent guys are going to sag off him if they don't think he's willing to shoot um, they're gonna play him straight up if they don't think he's you know a threat to score inside. And I think another important thing is, you talked about you know JV being a more efficient post scorer. JV was also a much more efficient scorer on the roll.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, and so good. I'd
0: like to see, yeah. So I like I'd like to see Gasol just like rolling a little bit harder to the rim and like mixing things up in terms of when he pops and when he rolls mm-hmm. because I think you make things a little bit easy on a defense when if they know that the pop is coming um like they can just sit on that as opposed to like if you're keeping them on their toes and like one of um I can't remember I think it was game three uh in the finals when um Gasol was just like really rolling hard to the basket and it was one of his best games in the playoffs and Mm -hmm. I just like I want to see him do that a little bit more like ultimately I think he's going to be more effective as a pick and pop guy than as a pick and roll guy but I think you just got to mix it up a little bit and keep the defense on their toes. You know what I mean?
2: The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts part of the Locked On podcast network. Your team every day.
1: Yeah, and I think the way Gasol, Lowry and Siakam's skills sort of, you know, work off of each other, I think there's room there for Gasol maybe to have a little bit of extra sort of space to operate in those situations. Like the thing about Jonas is that whenever he was rolling, there was never that much space for him because until just the the part of the season before he got hurt against the Warriors last year. He was always playing with another big, and there's just never that much room for him to operate. And the way that the Raptors, you would figure, are going to play, like, there'll be a lot of Siakam in the corner if they're running high pick and roll with, with Lowry and Gasol, and it just feels like it'll be more spread out for Gasol to do stuff in that situation, and because... He's such a good passer. If there's any sort of cheating by defenses, if he can prove to be a pretty good scorer there, like he can pick that apart pretty easily. He can pick out cutters. Like, I think we're going to see a whole lot of like Lowry Gasol, high pick and roll. Gasol catches it on the roll, and you have like Siakam or OG cutting baseline. That's going to be something we see a ton this year. And I think those skills sort of offset each other really nicely. Um, and it's not like Gasol is a terrible scorer around the rim. Like, he wasn't good for the Raptors. He was. Uh, like 58 percent inside three feet down from like 68 percent inside three feet from when he was with the grizzlies last year and he was pretty bad for the raptors in those situations like even on the roll he just kind of like put up weird floaters and not really seem to have an idea of what he was doing and i think he has more in him than what he showed in a raptors uniform last year and he's going to have to show that. He's going to have to have that touch around the rim. Like, he he has it. He's not, like, going to throw down dunks or anything like that. But there's no reason he can't be, like, an effective finisher catching the ball on the run and being able to make a play against, like, whatever centers up against him. It's not like it's, like, a stacked position or anything. Like, I, I think there's some real hope there that with those skills of those guys, if they sort of go back to what they did a couple years ago before they had Kawhi – the skills of the guys they have are going to complement each other very nicely. And I think that is at least a, a little bit of optimism. Um, before we kick over to the defense for a sec, let's keep on the offensive side a little bit. And I mentioned off the top, and I think you probably remember this, remember the first game you played for the Raptors against the Knicks? That quarter or two quarters, I guess it was the whole game before Fred Van VanVleet got hurt and then he missed a bunch of time. There was a real sort of like very obvious chemistry between Gasol and Fred and that also extended to Norm as well a little bit and Norm's usage was up and down and there was just not so much in the way of sample of seeing those guys together but do you think there's a chance that Gasol maybe sort of comes out early in, in Nick Nurse's rotation and sort of anchors a second unit to like start second quarters with like Norm or Fred or something like that or Terrence Davis like because he feels like I don't know. I don't really trust Fred as a creator, to be honest, and I don't really trust Norm as a creator. Norm has always been better to me as a guy who's standing in the corner waiting for a swing and to attack a moving defense. Um, And it feels like of all the secondary guys they might have, Gasol, like, might be the best at running a second unit offense. Do you see that being maybe a way that Nick Nurse approaches his rotation here?
0: Um yeah i mean i hadn't thought about it until right now but um i think that's definitely an option i don't think i don't like rotationally i don't think anything is off the table yeah. um and you know i think we're gonna see nick nurse try a lot of things this season um you know to me like fred has always been at his best when he's playing next to uh, another creator and um like he's been to me at his best when he's playing next to Lowry but he's also been very good playing next to on Wright and like you mentioned he's been good playing next to Marcus All as well so I think you know we saw we really like don't need to rehash this but um, you know pretty much all of Raptors Twitter I think can agree that uh, we like Fred playing off ball more than we like him playing on ball and (laughs) that doesn't mean that he should never play on ball because I think you know as a pull-up shooter and as a creator he still does some things that I think um are positive and like you you like having that in your back pocket I just think he's so much more effective playing off of the ball he's so much more effective as a spot-up shooter than he is as a pull-up shooter um he's great moving at the ball you really need the spacing that he provides so you know whether he's playing alongside Lowry or alongside Gasol I think Ideally, you don't want to have too many situations where he is kind of your primary initiator.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. Uh, we'll get to Fred later. I am. I have mixed Fred feelings. I love Fred with all of my heart, obviously, and the way he finished the postseason is the reason, or a big reason, the Raptors have a title. Um, I am skeptical that he's going to be able to make good on the recency bias that seems to be sort of ballooning his, like. Reputation around the league, although I guess it wasn't ballooned. He was not even in the top 100 on the SI100, which people got really bad about uh, for some reason, anyway. Yeah, that was like, what was
0: the opposite of recency bias? That was like... Um, I don't know how I feel about that.
1: Yeah, I, I, I know how I feel about it. I don't care. Uh, again, this is, this is such a weird season to cover because I don't care about anything. I just want to watch fun basketball be played by old guys who are... Avenging their title that they're not going to be able to defend, most likely, but are going to try damn hard to do it. And Marc Gasol yeah, is I kind mean, of you say that now. I mean, I I believe I'm captain. It's fine. I think I'll be saying that all year long. But um, I know some people certainly won't. I just Gasol to me in particular, him and Lowry, I guess, are the two guys who sort of embody like what this team is going to be, just from like a pure joy standpoint. Like it's a team now that there's so little pressure on it. Gasol and Larry both have their titles, like they don't have to worry about like chasing rings if they don't want to. Like they can sort of rest easy knowing their legacies are gonna be cemented. And for Gasol, I mean, it just feels like I mean, we've seen how much rose he's drunk this summer. I think he just feels kind of liberated and chill and just happy. And I think it's gonna maybe not be like a fifty five win team or anything like that, but I do think it's gonna be a really enjoyable team to watch, and Gasol is going to be central to all of that because of the way he plays, because he throws crazy-ass passes cross-court from, like, the far post. Like, he he does really interesting, kind of unique basketball things, and I think that's going to really sort of lend itself well to this Hakuna Matata-ass season that is to come for the Raptors. Um, quickly, let's touch on the defense. Do you think Gasol can, like anchor a top 6-7 defense, which I think this team has the capability to do, and maybe it's not even so much about the big man as it is about the wing per, like the perimeter defense and how OG comes along and how Siakam progresses on the defensive end as well as the offensive end and how he sort of holds up on defense under the intense scrutiny he's going to face as an offensive number one, and maybe he's going to give some back on the other end. Um, so maybe it's not really a Gasol question, but Like, are you confident, having seen what he did in the playoffs, especially against uh, poor, poor Joel Embiid and poor, poor Nikola Vucevic uh, and all manner of other bad uh, bad matchups for him, like, uh, are you confident this team can be as good defensively as it probably has to be to be a real threat, to be like the three-seed in the East with Gasol playing 26, 27 minutes as the anchor at center?
0: Yes. Um... And I think you know if you're saying can Marcus all anchor a top five or six defense, like I I would just say that it depends on the personnel around him. Mm -hmm. I think this is the right personnel around him to make that possible. Um, Just because there there is so much defensive talent on this roster, and I think there is the perimeter defensive talent to make his job a little bit easier in the middle. Um, if you're talking about you know presumably you're playing a drop back in the pick and roll I know he showed at points in the playoffs that he can also you know do the hedging thing where he comes out a little bit higher and, and that's going to be an option but for the most part I think you're going to have him drop back and play as close to the basket as possible and and when that's the case it really helps to have you know strong armed wings who can either you know prevent triple penetration or just sort of stunt into the lane and deflect balls like you got you have guys like Lowry and Fred VanVleet, who are, you know, for my money, as good as any guards in the league at sort of digging down into the post and um, and stripping guys, you know, whether it's on the pick and roll, whether it's out of post-ups, like, you have so many good help defenders. Like, I just think um, what Gasol does, uh, like, I, I, he, he doesn't have to really stretch the limits of his capabilities too much to be super effective mm-hmm. in this particular team context um so yeah I fully expect them to be like I don't know put a number on it like top seven defense I think that should be easy money
1: yeah I think you know obviously you lose a lot without Danny Green or Kawhi although Kawhi was like hit or miss in the regular season last year defensively obviously Giannis uh knows how good he is now but uh like I I do think the talent maybe is a little bit Less sure, Like, I think Norm can be a pretty good defender. I'm still not sure exactly what Norm is at anything, and that's part of the fun of this season. I'm sure we'll have a Norm podcast over the next couple weeks here. Um, And, like, I think OG's pretty good on ball. How he is off ball, that remains to be seen. He seems to have trouble sometimes fighting through screens because he's so big and lanky, but, um, like, I do think there's good defensive talent within those two, and if you have those guys flanked by Siakam and Lowry, like that's a pretty good starting point to sort of surround Gasol with. And and I don't know if the defensive IQ of the entire team is going to be quite to the point this year that they can kind of do what they did last year where it wasn't really a set defense. It was kind of just like, all right, Gasol calls up the coverage and they just go with the flow and play whatever defense works. Like, I'm not sure if they have that sort of overwhelming defensive talent, but... I mean, when you factor in, like, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson and if Stanley Johnson gets minutes, maybe they do have that much talent defensively. Um, the offense becomes an issue when those guys hit the floor, but that's a different conversation. It has nothing to do with Marc Gasol. Um So, yeah, I, I think we, we'll probably still see some of that sort of freestyle. Like, Gasol decides how they play defense here and there, and, like, him and Lowry can decide because they're so damn smart, but... Um, you know, you could do worse than having Marcus Saul sort of dropping back in sort of the way they used to have Jonas do it and, you know, come up high when he has to, but for the most part play more conservative style and then just sort of adapt from there because the wing defense should be pretty good, I think. I, I'm, I don't know. Norm, we were too late in this podcast to start on Norm, but, man, I have a lot of questions. <laughs> I'm, I'm optimistic, sort of, but also yeah. I have no goddamn clue because we've seen seven thousand different iterations of norm throughout his career and it's been like four years so who the hell knows uh joe he's gonna
0: have the opportunity right like that's that's kind of the yeah that's where we're at like the opportunity is there and um you know that that starting two guard job is his for the taking like it's just a question of whether he steps up and takes it and can be effective in in extended minutes in that role
1: and I will say, if there's someone who I think in that starting five who could sneakily, if Norm gets that spot, which I assume he will to start of the year at least, considering they have three more years and thirty something million invested in him, um, I would assume that like he's going to seriously benefit from playing with Gasol a lot. Like he just, he's not a guy who has the ball in his hands to initiate and have good things happen. Like he's a guy who needs to, as I said, like. Sort of be the fourth or fifth guy that it's swinging to, and when you have Gasol there, sort of there to sort of bring out the best, like bring out the the, the colors a little bit, you know, like to sort of he's like salt to, and pepper, he's like seasoning to, to an offense, right? Like I think he can kind of bring out the best in Norm a little bit, and maybe that's. You know a path forward for Norm to have some success this year as a starting two. I, I don't know because Saul makes everyone better. That's the nice thing about him. He's very very smart and <laughs> makes everyone around him better as a result. Uh, Joe, do you have any parting shots about Marcus Saul before we wrap this thing up?
0: Well, I feel like it's you know the, the, the big question about Gasol that we haven't even really touched on is like will he be on the Raptors by season's end?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Are you? you know like have you have you not considered the possibility that he might just he might be traded
1: yeah well we talked about it in the last episode we like went into that i don't think he's going to be traded because i just think I, I i don't need to rehash it i guess but i will like they are going to be good enough i think that they're not going to be able to justify just like throwing in the towel for what are you getting from marcus all like maybe a low first but probably a second if that and just some salary crap when if you want you can sort of just go to the end of the season ride it out have a fun year and use the cap space you have this summer as your asset acquisition sort of currency it doesn't have to be let's trade this guy to get stuff we could just have this cap space and use it to get stuff whether it's you take on bad money that's got a year left or something like that to clear your books for 2021 or you just use that money and you go after like interesting RFAs or you just sort of keep that powder dry. There's value in the Raptors keeping that cap space. So I am firmly against trading any of the three guys. Like I just don't think it makes that much sense. Um, and maybe that's because I just want to watch a low-stakes season where I don't have to worry about anything. <laughs> I'm okay with that, but... Um, I don't know. Like, do you would you like to see him traded? Do you think that's the right way to go forward, asset management wise, or like, I, I don't know. How do you how do you feel about it all?
0: Um, yeah, no, I think it'll just be totally dependent on where the Raptors are at yeah. come trade deadline. Like, you know, are they kind of struggling to keep their heads above water? They're hovering around five hundred, or maybe they're below five hundred. Like, then absolutely, I think you'll see what you can get for them. Um, although maybe if that's the case, there just like isn't going to be much of a market for him at all. Because wow. how could a season can Marcus all be having if the Raptors are floundering to that extent? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think if he does finish the season with the Raptors, that's probably a good sign for the Raptors, like that they've had a pretty good year. Um, and I guess my follow up question to you would be if he does finish the year with the Raps would you be comfortable with them re-signing him or, like, what amount would you be comfortable with them giving him uh, in terms of years and dollars?
1: That's a good question. I I guess it would depend on what he looks like this year, right? Like, if he looks like he's sort of declining very clearly and he just can't you just sort of shoulder the load that he's going to have to, then maybe you just let him walk. I mean, I I'm fully on board with giving Lowry a contract next summer, like whatever it is. I'm pretty cool with it. <laughs> I I don't imagine the market will be that insane. Although I guess he'll be be like one of the best free agents on the market, so maybe he will be insane. I don't know, but um, Gasol, I think he might be the best free agent on the market. Yeah, like, that's he... crazy. <laughs> um, um, and Gasol's I'm, probably top I'm five. To I think the of case one that might be better. Yeah, I guess like if like. If Siakam goes to RFA, or whoever the RFAs are, maybe, but they that never really materializes in anything meaningful anyway. So, um, yeah. I, I don't know. You answer first. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: okay. So, yeah. I mean, I guess we're all kind of in a lather about this 2021 free agent class, uh-huh. and... You probably don't want to do anything that compromises max salary space for that summer. Uh-huh. So, I suppose I don't know. I've kind of talked myself into a corner here. I don't know, <laughs> uh, I, but I guess it would just depend on on, on whether you're bringing Lowry back as well. Um, you know, have you extended Siakam this summer? Yeah. Um, at at, a, at something below the max, or are you having to max him out next summer? Like all those decisions, I guess, are going to be interconnected, and they're all going to. Uh, I guess come down to uh, you know this question of whether you're leaving yourself max cap space for 2021 mm-hmm. um, but in a vacuum I feel like if you could give him like a two year deal like let's say he basically plays the entire season at the level that he played at after coming to the Raptors yeah. last year um, I feel like I feel pretty good about giving him a two year deal at like 30 million yeah something like that
1: yeah. I mean... Uh,
0: and, and that would that would compromise your space in 2021 a bit, um, but I feel like at that number, you could probably still finagle it so you have max room.
1: Yeah, I think you'd probably do that, and maybe just sort of, like, structure it so that he makes more in the first year or something like that, um, if that's legal. I don't know the deals. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
0: Or the second year is,
1: like, partially guaranteed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that's, that's an option, too. Like fuck it run it back bring back kyle surge and gasol on identical deals to what they're coming off of for one year <laughs> and then go into 20 to with all the like i just i maybe i don't know my judgment is probably clouded because of the title haze um and so i'm probably not going from a super like nate and danny approved sort of angle on all this but like I just want to watch Marcus All play for the Raptors. He's really fun. And now that the Raptors have won a title, I personally am okay if there's like a couple years here where it's just about fun. And it's just about sort of res- reshuffling the decks before 2021 if that's the year you have sort of pinpointed as the one you're going to try to go all out for. Um, I also trust that Masai Ujiri would be able to move off of whatever deals probably because he's a wizard uh, maybe that's also, you know, an opinion clouded by the the title haze. I don't know. But I am cool watching the fun player play for the team. I, and as long as it's not for, like, $30 million, I think you can probably justify it on a short deal. And I'm with you. I, I would not hate that. And you, if you run back, like, I mean, maybe, maybe Siakam this year proves that he can be more than what we even think he's going to be, right? Like, maybe he has, like, just some crazy – meteoric season where he's like flirting with like top fifteen status in the NBA, and you think, man, like I would like to have him play on a competitive team before we try to sell some other star on coming to play with him in 2021. Like if you don't have Lowry or Gasol, and yes, there are ways to fill in the roster, I suppose, because you have that much cap space. But like there, as we've just said, there's no one on the market, so maybe the best way to keep your team good and relevant and sort of in the limelight and in sort of the Tier of teams that guys are gonna to want to come to is to just bring back Kyle and Gasol and and even Ibaka, whatever. They have those guys back, and you'll still be good and relevant. And then you go from there. Um, and I think we've lost Joe, but uh, Joe, you back? Sorry, I'm back. Oh, yeah, okay, Sorry, I just out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, and yeah. So I, I think you know, there's a, there's an argument to be made that the best way to go forward to sell yourself as a destination in 2021 is to just keep Kyle and Gasol around and Ibaka or whatever. Um, so yeah, I'm. I think I'm with you. I'm okay with Morgasol after this year. It'd be kind of a bummer if this was his last year at the team because he rules and he's so so fun to watch.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and uh, I like you know that there's, there's like a little clip of him celebrating the Spanish national team's victory by chugging like a little can of I don't even know what it is. I guess it's maybe beer, but it's like the size of a Red Bull can. <laughs> so. I like, you know, his conception of, like, the scale of those two victories. Like, you know, one obviously uh, justified him chugging a bottle of rosé, and the other, like, a Red cottage Gold springs yeah. can of beer. Like, yeah. yeah, I think that's, you know, he demonstrated a clear understanding of the value uh, of those two respected titles. But no, all the respect in the world to him, and uh, I, like you, i am looking forward to watching him play another season in a Raptors uniform.
1: It'll be fun, man. Uh, I'm sure we'll check in over the course of the season to talk about what Gasol and the rest are doing. Um, but until then, Joe, where can people find you?
0: People can find me at the score, the score app, uh, the score website, uh, on Twitter at Joey underscore W. I Um, I post most of my content there. I'm going to be rolling out some season preview content in the coming weeks. And, uh, You can subscribe to Pound the Rock as well, my NBA podcast with uh, fellow, the score writer, Joseph Cacharo.
1: And yeah, that's about it. It's very good. Listen to it. Uh, You can find me at Woodley Sean. You can subscribe, rate, review, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, And that is going to do it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. And we will talk to you next time with another episode of Locked on Raptors.